Welcome to the Inspiro Podcast, a podcast exploring personal growth, leadership, strategy, communication, and fulfillment. We are your hosts, Jason Luchtefeld and Bill Woodburn. I'm here as a dentist transitioning into a career to help facilitate individuals and their organizations towards a more fulfilling future. Hi there, I'm Bill Woodburn, and I'm a licensed professional counselor and licensed marriage and family therapist in Austin, Texas. I'm fascinated by the way people come together to solve problems, whether that's couples or families, dental practices or organizations. We're going to be exploring a lot of topics, and for us to be able to be free to do that, I have to let you know that this is not intended to be dental advice or counseling advice. So when I think of spirituality, I think of of finding opportunities to create awe. Yeah, yeah. To me, the those are spiritual <laughs> moments where I feel like I am a part of this these natural surroundings. It typically happens out on a walk, or I've done a hard hike and I reach the top of the peak and I can see out to just endless miles of mountains and nobody, no airplanes, no noise, and all of a sudden I just feel a a connection to the world like uh like i am a part of this you're you're in very good company there are a lot of of uh theologians who work on yeah. defining that that particular sense of awe and being in the presence of something greater than ourselves that has like a little tinge of of dread but a tinge of, but lots of connection and some joy and it's it it's a particular cocktail but what's interesting is how consistent it is when people study it across cultures mm-hmm. and across time. We have that ability when confronted with something larger than our than ourselves that we can be in relationship to. Mm-hmm. That there is that very special kind of feeling that's hard to explain, but most of us know it when it hits. Mm. You know, when I go to the Grand Canyon and I first drive up, and I always my wife thinks I'm really funny because I, I have to stop the car and I have to walk out to the Grand Canyon. I just pick the first parking place. I don't care. We, we're not in our campsite yet or anything. I'm just first parking place. And I and I just walk out to the lip of the canyon and I just stand there because there is this feeling that that's a lot like what we're trying to capture. And I was like, what is this? I have no idea what that is. But I know I really need to do that. To try to put a, a meaningful, useful point to this episode, talking about self-care, it would be find opportunities to give yourself awe or mm-hmm. to create awe, whatever that might be, whether it's driving to the Grand Canyon, going for a hike, going for a bike ride, going to an art gallery, uh, wh- whatever it is, go go uh, walk some puppies at the pound, you know, whatever feeds that for you, because back to self-awareness, so knowing yeah yourself yeah. enough uh try trying to do that on a regular basis will provide a lot of stress relief general psychological comfort can i call it that yeah but the other thing you're talking about which i'm, I'm going to put a name to it part of self-care you're talking about having a spiritual practice not just a spiritual moment mm-hmm. and particularly not just a spiritual identity Spiritual identity is pretty easy to come by. You can read a book and, and get one. But to have a spiritual practice, something you do every day, 
or several times a day or on some sort of regular basis to, and I'm going to, I'm going to be a little crude here to exercise those spiritual muscles in your mind. And and we kind of know what we're talking about. It's hard to explain, but we kind of know what we're talking about. That 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 awe, that connection. There's like, can can I exercise these muscles until I'm I'm in good shape there? Mm-hmm. And whether that's prayer, meditation, um, walking, and being with nature. I'm I'm not prescribing what, but again, we have uh, lots of data over thousands of years about spiritual practice being important to human beings the daily doing of something. Mm-hmm. And we've, as human beings, we've experimented a lot with what that something could be. And so there's a rich tradition there. But what they all come down to is doing it once or twice in your life isn't isn't quite it. What does imbalance in that area look like for you? Ooh, you know, Not for you like, personally, but for you yeah. as a professional, you are going to see I'm this, I think. It. When I'm observing than, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there are two things. Uh, one is when I get up at a workshop and I, I say, yeah, greetings, healers, it's nice to be with you. And everybody kind of laughs a little bit with that discomfort because I just, I tried to move them into something larger and everybody got uncomfortable. I think if they had a regular spiritual practice where they really thought about their place in the world, in the community, in the universe, to something greater than themselves, I could say that. And they might be a little like, eh, Bill, we're not comfortable with that word. But I don't think they'd quite laugh like that. I think they'd, they'd go, yeah, we, we kind of are. Um, so it's like, no, you just you just took me out of my bubble. I just, I just want to be done here. It's like, okay. So, yeah, thinking about those larger labels. Mm-hmm. Are you a healer? what is healing what purpose is it to heal another human being does it do any good for anybody in the world i mean what are we what are we actually doing here and not just have a technical answer i think that's and i think a spiritual practice can give you a larger than technical answer to that that question why why bother Mm -hmm. is a real good one so how do i know there's a problem when i see someone in a relationship reach out is something that is beyond the individual or even beyond the couple. And the other person moves back into kind of into a kind of cynicism and a kind of very broad brush. Oh, but it, everything's all fake and people are terribly untrustworthy. And, you know, we're, we're, we're little, we're little ants in the world that get squashed under the hobnails of the universe or something. I mean, I've, I don't know. I've heard a lot of stuff, but I wonder because that's so different than, natural happy human beings hmm. you know who may not get religious at that point but they they may be able to say yeah there's something greater than me mm-hmm. and maybe th- there's something greater than you and i you know and maybe there's something for our children to one day do in the world hmm. uh, that's interesting do you <laughs> find that that trying to create that bigger than me bigger than us concept <laughs> helps people to see some of the futility of what they get angry at? Yeah, yes. A, a story. I uh, I was visiting a, a space exhibit in a museum, and it was cool because they had these huge screens, and in each screen, they had flybys of different planets in the solar system. I mean, and we've got some pretty cool flybys now. I mean, this isn't like some little dot from, I mean, we are flying 
over Venus. We're flying over Mars. We're we're traversing Mars on a wheeled vehicle. I mean, it's like, hmm. And so I'm there with this 10-year-old kid. He's standing beside me. I don't know him. He's standing there. We're both, both in awe of looking at this stuff. And we're both up there looking at Mars. And out of nowhere, I just turned to the kid and I said, you could go there. So I said, I'm too old. I'm not making it to Mars. But, but you know, kid, if, if you really want to, you could go there. And he just looked at me with his eyes like open, like, yeah. To me, that wasn't a scientific moment. That's a spiritual moment. Hmm. That's okay. I'm handing off. I'm handing the torch to you, kid. You know, I've I've, I've gone about as far as I'm going to do on this exploration thing. Over to you. What are you going to do with it? And you could say, well, why bother? But yeah, and there'd be a lot of very good objections to why. But but there was something in that moment. And I recognized it. The kid recognized it. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I need to explore. Mm. It maybe needs to be me. Or if not, I need to at least help. A couple little pieces of advice to those of us uh, that have practices. Okay. I wonder what would happen if we weren't so freaking scared of spirituality. If we made a place for it in the practice, not necessarily for religious practice, though that might be necessary and needed and good for people. I mean, I'm, I'm not against it. That's not exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what if we didn't kind of automatically limit the discussion to just what's going on with the patients, just what's going on with the practice? What if occasionally we ask, well, what is this practice in the community? What is this practice in the world? Where are we really headed here? Yeah, it's it's kind of awe-inspiring. There can be disagreements. But what I see is a lot of times human beings, we, we get in groups and we start that direction and somebody says, mm, no, let's let's not. Uh, this is a workplace. We're we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about that. Uh, it's can we develop a way to talk about our spiritual yearning? without offending people and that's yeah. a, that's a real tough that's a tough task yeah but i think a good leader can start to make a place where people can literally you know say uh with a straight face well what are you doing here i'm working for world peace i figure when people have healthy mouths and they're not in pain they'll treat everybody around them better and we are one small step closer to world peace and nobody laugh around the table Never go, yeah, hey, that's, yeah, something bigger than you, something yeah. even bigger than dentistry. What the heck are we doing here? Yeah, I think there are probably a, <clears throat> some practices that, that, especially practices that you and I would have had exposure to over the years that have some of those conversations. Yeah. And yeah. can do that in a way that navigates a, a sense of place in the world without evangelizing. Yeah. When I'm doing family therapies, th therapy with a family on a non-spiritual topic is, can we make room for a lot of different answers? For right. A lot of different right answers. To right. So 
Somebody might say, you know, I'd like to pray about this. Great. Somebody might say, I'd, I'd like to, um, you know, or like, why do you think we have this practice? Because it serves God. Great. Why do we have this practice? Because I'm a human being and I value other human beings. Great. Can we have both those at the same table? Why are we doing this practice? Because to be part of the universe, we're part of something larger and healing is putting the world, the, the, the universe right in a way that's one. Yeah. Can we let all those sit around the table? Right. Can we make a place for that. Each person could have their own reasoning there. And what we're honoring is the fact that we all have a striving for that. Even someone who says, I, I'm really uncomfortable with that. Okay. We'll sit with your discomfort too. Right. That's, that, that doesn't, that doesn't break anything here. Yeah. And I think that's, <clears throat> that's fine when we're talking about a, a group of power equals. Good point. But in a practice, we don't have that. Or if we have that, it's it's taken a lot of time and energy to cultivate that. And even then, when you think you have it, you probably don't, as I think you've taught me. And so with if you have that and you have a leader of a practice that is directing a certain type of conversation, it's highly unlikely that you're going to have a team member that says, I'm uncomfortable with that and I'll just sit with the discomfort. Well, part of what not impossible, saying, but well, but what you're also saying is, I mean, what I'm talking about is that the leader is trying to make a safe place for all of those to be at the table. Right. And what if you're a leader who is very uncomfortable with that? Well, yeah, maybe you have you've got some work to do until you're either comfortable or maybe that's just not a place for you to go. Yeah. Uh, and yes, thank you for bringing up that the leader in a practice, and I don't don't just mean the doc, it can be the office manager or whoever, um, has, has a real responsibility to the culture of realizing that their words are often more powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's what they, again, they teach us in therapy, is there's a point at which you back off and you become the keeper of the process, not pushing a particular agenda. Mm -hmm. Because to push that agenda would get into some biases and those biases, whether right or wrong. Again, I'm not saying, oh, because it's wrong. I'm, maybe I think I'm terribly right. But as I do that, I start to impinge on the human freedom of the people around the table. Mm -hmm. And now whatever they say will be less genuine. And by the amount less genuine will be less taking care of their spiritual needs right so the more genuine i can make the discussion in the spiritual realm the more we're taking care of our spiritual needs and if i just can't be authentic in that okay maybe maybe i shouldn't be having the discussion yeah this is a, this is a kind of real dangerous area there are lots of feelings there's lots of ideas it's yeah. it's a tough one a lot of beliefs <laughs> it's a lot of beliefs it's a lot of beliefs and very little evidence. Uh, all the beliefs are personal experience beliefs. There aren't things we can say, hey, we have a randomized controlled trial to verify this level of spirituality. 
Yeah, we're a little different on that. I would <laughs> I would consider experience evidence. Ah, but um experience <laughs> is evidence, but not in the scientific way that you described earlier. So again, right. we're we're getting outside of the realm of of actually being able to say um a given answer to the evidence. We're simply let's saying take, that's a it's a different let's type. take spirituality yep. that's that's an experience and find material correlates that we can use in our study, and then we go, we can't. Well, no, because it's an experience. Yeah. People are finding this. I mean, in, in a much more hardcore science, people are, are having a, the same problem. Um, I've been having a neck issue. I go to my doctor, and he says, well, pain level is between 1 and 10. What is it? And I was like, you have a freaking idea. I mean, what if I say, hey, what does my 8 pain look like to you? I'm talking about an experience and you want me to give it a number, but I have no particular, I mean, I don't know what numbers you use in your head to your pain. And so we're trying to get across this experience. If in a, in a different world, I would say, let me take a moment and I will paint this terrific picture for you. And then when you look at the, at the reds and yellows and the orange and the, you know, you'll, you'll experience what I'm experiencing with my pain. But they want like one to ten. It's like I don't, I don't know. Yeah, but the real answer is I don't know. Which is by the way what I told the MD. Yeah. So what you're not in pain? No, I'm in considerable pain. But I have no idea what you will do, how you will experience the number I give you. Yeah. It's it's part of the problem with having a counselor as a patient. Okay, I'll just admit. Yeah. <laughs> To that end of the of the science side of it, I think we're we are probably starting to see some fMRI data on brain activity in those that have a spiritual experience. Yes, and so that yeah. we can start to see, oh, this part of the brain is involved in <clears throat> this kind of experience or this kind of feeling, and what does that tell us? And st they start to get some more descriptions from the people during that same process, and we can start to see some puzzle pieces coming together that at least we know like this brain area is involved and this is some of the description the feelings associated and and there's some of that that exists now but it's not like we can say that the sight of a tree on a mountain that makes my brain do this is going to have the same effect on your brain we just yes. know that whenever you find the thing that makes your brain do that it's a good thing for you. <laughs> so let's move back towards the self-care part of it. Yeah. Um, some things that, that we've been talking about is, is one is recognize that it's a normal human experience for you, for your team, for those around you, for your family, that, that telling people to just stop it doesn't actually do anything for anybody. It's, it, 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 go, it goes on. Um, the other is, to have some sort of personal practice uh, for to to realize that for whatever reason uh, human brains need a certain amount of spiritual exercise to consider some of the bigger ideas to consider a, a larger identity to sit, consider a larger community than just what we can see it's built in and what you do with it again I'm not necessarily prescribing but the idea of 
what about just asking the question and and doing a little journaling and finding something that's a daily reminder of the place that you have discovered for yourself in the universe, the, the identity you've discovered, those parts of your brain, and that maybe, though this is much trickier, extending that to other people in your practice so that at least people are not scared hmm. of that part. Now, there may be limits, of course, and boundaries, of course, but have to be, but not not fear. So when we're talking about a specific <laughs> self-care item, you mentioned meditation, but there's a very specific kind of meditation that I think is geared towards this sort of experience for an individual. Okay. It's called the loving kindness practice. Okay. And what this, what you do in this is obviously you want to be able to sit uninterrupted, uninterrupted uh, in a quiet place. And you first think about the people you love. Mm. And you send them love. Mm -hmm. And then you think about the people that you don't love. Mm -hmm. And you send them love. Let and me you suggest for those people that are getting uncomfortable with the send them love. Yeah. Is to recognize our community with those people. Whether we want to be in community or not. Yeah. And that we can, we are co-creating a relationship. And we can decide that we would like to co-create it as a more loving relationship. Well, and yeah, whenever I say send them love, I don't mean sending them a, a Hallmark card. This is simply a mental exercise you're doing for yourself while you're sitting quietly. And yeah. the interesting, I mean, you can go to that length if you so desire. But as far as this exercise, the loving kindness meditation is concerned, it's simply an exercise you do with yourself, by yourself, in imagining these other people, other things, both local and distant. And we have data now to support that this actually helps you to feel better. You feel more mm -hmm. connected to people. You feel less angry at those that you were angry at. You feel even more love and connection to those that you were that you do love and connect to, even if they live a continent away. And so doing that kind of practice on a regular basis is a really good self-care tool that can be of benefit. And to also reaffirm what you're saying is that there are both studies and a lot of practical experience that yeah. says that empathy and connection are actually healing mm -hmm. for the person who's giving the empathy and connection, mm -hmm. not just the person who's receiving. Thanks again for listening. That was part one of our last section for the self-care series. So tune in next time where we continue the discussion about spiritual self-care. Thanks a lot.